Okay, good morning, Boker Tov. It should be a good morning. It's a very, very difficult day yesterday, a difficult day already today for Klai Yisrael. We should hear Besoros Tovos. We should hear only good news. Our soldiers should be home. Our hostages should be brought back. We should have only sweeping victory and strength and comfort. I want to thank our Parsha series sponsors for the year, Becky and Avi Katz. It was wonderful to see Avi the other night at a wedding. Sponsored the series in memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, Lila Nishmas, David Ben Menachem Manish. We remain very, very grateful to the Katz family this morning. Also, as several sponsors, Shane Dian, Dr. Ali Lassen, in commemoration of the 11th year site of Shane's beloved father, Avram Ephraim Ben Gershon David, is Neshama Shirav and Aliyah, by the Shrier family, Lilinishma's Dov Ber Ben Aaron Halevi, Bernard Sullivan, whose yurt site is today, and Lilinishma's Gitto Mindel Bas Avram, Aliyah Zetzvi Ben Avram, and Esther Tila Bas Avram, Pinchas. Thank you so much for your generosity, by Elliot Rosenfeld, Risa Mordechai Palak, and Merrill and Jeremy Strauss. In honor of their parents, Susan and Robert Rosenfeld, on today, where are they? I believe is their 60th wedding anniversary. A very happy anniversary. Many more in good health and happy. They're clapping because you made it to 60 years, and that's not so common today. So six years is not so common today. 60 years, 60 years is borderline a miracle. So mazel tov, mazel tov to you, and many, many more with your beautiful family in good health and happiness. Have tremendous nachas from them. By Sari Newman and family, from Montreal, commemoration of the fourth year outside of her father, Luz Stern, Elazar Gedalia, and by Alan Sarah Gordon, Lazar Nishmas, Baruch Ben Chaim, and Baruch Yehuda Ben Shmuel, his father Bernard Gordon, and uncle Bernard Rosenkranz, who have the same Yeretzite, and for a Rafua Shlema from Moshe Aaron Ben Rachalaya, should have a speedy, painless, and complete Rafua Shlema. Thank you to all of the generous sponsors. As you see, construction on our campus has finally begun. That's why we need so many sponsors for every class so that we'll be able to continue to learn and grow together. Very briefly, before we begin, Parshas Vayera, page 318 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. Just to remind you, bring to your attention quickly, incredible upcoming opportunities here at Bokerton Synagogue. This Thursday night, we're continuing our series on mental health. Dr. Andrew Shate, who is a worldwide expert on resilience, will be speaking on navigating challenges, building resilience in ourselves and our children. It's open to everybody, 8 o'clock on Thursday night. You can find it in the weekly on your way out. And uh, he is an expert on resilience. Which of us do not need to grow and build our resilience during this difficult time? This Motzei Shabbos, we are hosting the President of Israel, former President Ruven Rivlin, at 8.15 p.m. There are many, many, many who've already registered. If you're coming, and we hope you are, please make sure to register. And lastly, next week, our annual incredible evening with Rav Moshe Weinberger. Music, incredible Fabring and Tish with Rav Weinberger, 7.30 on Monday night. Take a weekly, details are all on there. Page 318. The Art Scroll Stone Chumash. Our parsha continues. Last week we were introduced as we transitioned from the formation of our family into the birth of our people, how we began to come together as a nation. And that storyline continues to unfold this week. Hashem speaks to Moshe, and what's his message? I am Hashem. I appeared to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and I but with my name, Hashem, I did not make myself known to them. And so on and so forth. So he reintroduces himself to Moshe as if they haven't had a conversation. As if Hashem did not recruit or solicit, solicit Moshe to be a leader in last week's parsha. So what's going on over here? So the Nomad Limelech, Rav Elimelech of Lezhin says the following. This is brought down by the Rach Meshivka and the Amaros Tahoros. God spoke to Moshe and he said to him, but we're using two different words, synonyms, for God speaking to Moshe. First we began, Vaidaber Elokim. And then quickly we switch from Vaidaber to Vayomer Elav. What's the difference between Dibor and Amira? Between Vaidaber and Vayomer. Clearly there's a difference. If they meant the same thing, we would have used the same word. The fact that we use two different words means that there are two different meanings and we're trying to communicate two different things. What is it that we are trying to communicate? And moreover, there's another difference. First of all, we switch from Vaidaber to Vayomer, and secondly, we switch from Elokim, the name of Hashem, which is justice, judgment, Elokim, to Ani Hashem, to the name of Hashem, which reflects and represents compassion. So Rashi writes, God began to speak to Moshe harshly, strongly. First, Vayidaber, Dibor is Lashon Kasha, and then he switches to Lashon Raka. He begins harshly, strongly, aggressively, and then he switches to softly and gently. He begins with Elohim, justice, 
And then he switches to Ani Hashem, a loving, compassionate, affectionate parent. What was he addressing? So Rashi tells us, Hashem is responding to Moshe challenging, Why? Why are you bringing such difficulty, such pain? Such wickedness, such evil, such suffering, such loss. Am Yisrael, yesterday we lost nine more precious soldiers, beautiful young men in the prime of their lives. Incredible, incredible B'nai Torah. Tragic, horrific. Chavrusa, two who learned in Gush together. They were Chavrusas in the yeshiva and they went off to war as Chavrusas and they fought for the Jewish people as Chavrusas and the Chavrusas in Shemaim together. Lama Hariosa, how could it be? V'kasha, ki elotek of la'achem ikein namar vayomari lav, diberi lava kash borcha midas arachamim. So if it's in fact true that Moshe was challenging Hashem, where are you? How could you? Why would you? How much more suffering can we take? How many more Leviahs can we watch or attend? How many more Shiva calls? How many more headlines and news and alerts? How much more? Lama Harayosa, why? So why does Hashem then show compassion? Why does He switch from Vaidaber to Vayoma from Elohim to Hashem? Uva Medrash Isa, Halashon, Sheitiach Moshe, Dvarim Klape Malo, Vilachor Kashe, Echshaich Lomar, Kedavar Azal, Moshe Rabbeinu, Shemitiach Dvarim Klape Malo, Chasvashalom. Moshe as if litigated, Moshe as if challenged, he threw it at Hashem. Where are you and how could you? So, who and how could Moshe have challenged God? And if indeed Moshe challenged God, seemingly he crossed the line in challenging God, in holding God accountable, putting God on trial, then why did God change to start showing him compassion? Why didn't he continue to react and respond strictly and harshly? What's going on over here? So listen to the Nomeli Melech. When you talk about a Parsha perspective for today, everything, the Parsha is screaming at us, speaking to us each and every week. It is relevant each and every week to what's going on in our lives and the lives of Klal Yisrael. Hatam Mashamar Moshe Lama Verak Mitzad Godel Avas Yisrael. Shebo. Moshe crying out and screaming out was simply a reflection of his Avas Yisrael. Moshe was the greater mamin, greatest mamin in Hashem. Moshe's belief in Hashem was unwavering, unconditional. He was his loyal servant, he was faithful, reliable, dependent. Moshe wasn't challenging Hashem. Moshe was in pain. Moshe was looking at his brothers and sisters. He was seeing their suffering. He was seeing that loss. He was seeing families sitting shiva. He was seeing widows and orphans. He was seeing parents bury children. And because of his Avas Yisrael, he couldn't take it. He just couldn't take it. So he challenges Hashem, Lama Arios, Lama Yisrael. Because he couldn't take the pain and the suffering of Kla Yisrael. Hashem, as a loving parent, understood Moshe's not rebelling, and Moshe's not reflecting heresy, and Moshe's not challenging Hashem's existence, or his providence, or a sense of justice, he was simply screaming out in pain. And where does that Avas Yisrael come from? It comes from an Avas Hashem. Why did Moshe love Hashem's children? Because Moshe loved Hashem. He loved Hashem and he loved his children. And his crying out and screaming out and yelling and protesting and objecting to Hashem was in fact an expression of loving Hashem. It's a bizarre expression. It's a bizarre expression. But sometimes when you scream, when you yell, when you say, where are you? You're actually communicating incredible faith, profound faith. I know you're in charge. I know you're responsible. I know you run the world. I know this is your world. I know these are your children. I am among them. These are my siblings. We are your children. Where are you? And what can come across as a harsh indictment is actually a communication, an expression of profound, profound emuna and faith. And that's how Hashem took it and understood it. So at first he begins, Vaidaber Elohim. He has to. Moshe is objecting, protesting, challenging the Almighty, the Ribonishalm, the Ebishter. He begins Vaidaber harshly, Elohim justice. But Hashem then quickly pivots in recognition that where it's coming from 
is Moshe's avas Yisrael. He simply loves his fellow Jew, and he can't bear, he can't bear to watch and to experience the headlines and the news and the alerts and what's happening. It's as if Hashem is saying, Moshe, I really need to put you in time out. Moshe, you really need to be in trouble. Moshe, I really have to hold you accountable. Who are you? How dare you speak to me in that way? But because I realize that the only thing driving you to scream and to yell and to protest and to object and to bang against my chest and to say, Hashem, where are you? Is because of your Avas Yisrael. Instead of Hashem, therefore, yelling at him, punishing him, throwing consequences at him, Hashem says, come here. Come here, Moshe. Let me hold you. Come here, cry, fall in my arms. Let me hold you. So he switches them from Edaber to Vayomer, from Elohim to Hashem. Because when it comes from Avas Yisrael, we can say almost anything to Hashem. When it comes to Avas Yisrael. So where are we and what are we saying to Hashem? Have we told them Genukshain? Have we told them it's enough? It's enough. It's not getting old. We're not fatigued. We're not distracted. We're not turning away. We're not failing to look. Are we like Moshe? Lama Haureyosa Lama Zeh? Ribbonu Shalom, it's enough. It's enough. Days like yesterday. Lama Hareyosa, it's enough. We're done. We're finished. It's enough. Lama Hareyosa, we're done. We're done. If it comes from Avas Yisrael, we can turn to Hashem and say almost anything. And we need to. HaKadosh Baruch Hu invites us to. He wants us to. Avram protests when it comes to stone. And Moshe says, Lama Hareyosa. And Moshe says, why do you do bad things to good people? Explain to me. Show me your way. We have a rich tradition. We have precedent of great people who turn to Hashem, they object and they protest and they say, where are you and how could you? And Hashem says, I understand. When it comes from an Avas Yisrael and an Avas Hashem, when it comes from a loyal, love and a loyalty to our brothers and sisters, and it comes from a desire to go closer to Him, then He says, I understand. Not only do I understand, I welcome, I want. I want when our children... When our children appeal to us on behalf of their sibling, even if they speak in a little bit of a chutzpah manner, do you not get a little bit of nachas? You're fighting for your sibling, your brother or sister, coming at me because you're standing up for your brother or sister, you don't want them to suffer? Okay, you know what? We'll turn away and we'll overlook some of the way it's said, some of the chutzpah that's exhibited because we appreciate the loyalty, the love siblings have for one another, that they're willing to react with a shtikal azaz to kedusha. A little bit of chutzpah. Lama Hareyosa says the Eliganom Elimelech says Rebbe Elimelech of Lezhinsk. Kurdish Baruch is inviting and waiting for us to scream Lama Hareyosa with an Avas Yisrael. With an Avas Hashem. Hashem, it's enough. It's enough. It's enough. We don't want any more. We can't take any more. It's enough. It's enough. Paragvav moving along. So Hashem reintroduces. Your forefathers, you wonder who I am, ask around. Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, they know who I am. I introduced, though I didn't tell them my name. And I have a bris. We made a covenant, a contract. And I've heard the cries. I've heard the call of the Jewish people that the Mitzrim are persecuting. And it caused me to remember, it caused me to remember my covenant. We've spoken about this in the past. We won't review it now. But the notion of Hashem invoking memory. Hashem, the Rebbeinu Shalom is omnipotent and infinite. He's all perfect. He's all knowing. He doesn't forget. You need to remember when you could forget. Right before we started, Talia said, don't forget to announce the different programs we have. I said, there's two minutes to go. There's an excellent chance I'm going to forget. Baruch Hashem, I remembered. But when you are vulnerable to forgetting, you need to be reminded and you need to remember. But if you're Hashem... What does it mean, v'ezkor brisi? What does it mean to remember? And you see this. Whenever the Jewish people are in a very vulnerable position and a tefillah is offered on our behalf, Hashem invokes, He remembers. You know where else you see this? Whenever Yizker is recited. What are the opening two words? We know the opening word of Yizker. Yizker. Yizker, is Yizker being said? It's time for Yizker. Shul's packed, put extra chairs. It's Yizker. Yizker, don't forget to put out the appeal cards. It's Yizker. What's the second word? How does Yisker begin? Yiskor? Yisker is not let us remember. 
we should remember? Yizkor Elohim. It begins, Hashem, remember. As if he could forget, we have to remind him, remember, whenever you find the word Zechira with Hashem, so Hashem here turns to Moshe and he says, I heard the cries and I have a covenant with these people. And I remember. And now I am choosing to remember. What's that all about? We've spoken about it in the past, but I call your attention to it again. Pasuk Vav. So, he tells Moshe, tell the Jewish people, I am Hashem. And now Hashem delivers what we all know, what is well known, the Dalad Lashonos of Geula, the four languages, not four synonyms, but four languages of Geula. Four steps, four stages, the Nitziv, we've shared before. The Nitziv says they're not synonyms. They're not four descriptions of the same thing. They are four stages, four steps, four increment, incremental advances in that process. Gula, as much as we wish and want and dream and hope that redemption is all or nothing, that it's binary, that it's linear, we want to go from exile to redemption, but that's not the way it works. It happens in stages. It happens incrementally. We're living in a time of Aschalta de Geula. It's a glorious time of the Jewish people. For 2,000 years, they tried to kill us and we had nowhere to go and nowhere to hide and no sovereignty and no, self con no, no autonomy and no ability to fight for ourselves. And as horrific as these days are, they are Aschalta de Geula. And yet we're very far from being there at the Geula Shlema. We're not done. We're very far, too far from the finish line, which is why we call out. There are Dalad Lashonos, there are four steps. So, it's not just four synonyms for the same thing. It's not four words that mean the same thing. They represent four steps, stages, four progress towards that redemption. We have to understand what each one is offering, what each one, in fact, means. And there's a fifth, which is the fifth Lashon of Geula. It's Pasoches. And I will bring you to the land. We've spoken about this too. The fifth, do we invoke the fifth language of Geula? So the fourth, the four Dalad, the Shonas of Geula, the Gemara Nave Psacham Tosas there brings down. This corresponds with the Dalad Kosos, the four cups of wine. We'll get to in one moment. Why do we commemorate or memorialize or celebrate the four stages of redemption through wine specifically? Why not with four pieces of matzah? Four pieces of gefilte fish, four charcuterie boards, four colors of the gefilte fish. I don't know today what the four, whatever, four vintages of wine. Why, why wine? Why wine? We'll get to in a moment. So we correspond, the Dalad Kosos, the four cups, rabbinic obligation at the Seder, was instituted corresponding with the Dalad Shemas of Geula. There's a fifth cup. In the fifth cup, we pour but don't drink. And that fifth cup is called... The coast of Elio, the Gros says, the coast of Elio, the fifth cup of Elio, corresponds with this fifth one. And Rav Menachem Kasher in his Haggadah Shlema, after surviving the Nazis and describing in his introduction to the Torah Shlema and Shmos that they were living in times that were worse than, than the genocide of Mitzrayim, then his Haggadah Shlema says, we shouldn't just pour, we should drink the fifth cup because we've merited to live it. We were taken to the land and we are living in the land, and we should drink it. And his suggestion, his proposal was rejected, we know, but the fifth cup also makes its way to our Seder. We pour it, but we don't drink it through the coast of Elio. The Ramban writes, The first step is, Hashem says, I will take you out from under Sivlos Mitzrayim. Sivlos means the suffering, the suffrage, the bondage, the pain of Mitzrayim. Says the Ramban, He will take them out from the burden, from the weight of the persecution, of the oppression, of the suffering. He's promising them to emancipate, to liberate, to free them from that sovereignty, that persecution of others. Says Rav Druk, if you ask, and they will send. With tremendous Akar Satov, Rav Druk sent me Sefer Shmos of his new Sefer Lavos Eish. We've been through the Eish Tamid, now Lavos Eish. He's coming in February, Mirz Hashem to our community. He's going to give a shir. We'll give you the, the update. We keep you very busy at BRS. You can't go a day, let alone a week, without, in addition to our normal shiurim, 
But Baruch Hashem, the people that were Zoha to host of Kluger tonight, my backyard for men, those who want to be. Last night a program, there wasn't a seat in the house. What is this expression, wonders of drugs? Sivlos Mitzrayim. The Ramban says, Miloshan Sevel. Shilo Yizbalu Odes, Kovid Masa'am. Lizbol means to bear the suffering, to bear the weight. Says Rav Druk, let me expand and let me further elucidate. In Shema at night we say, smote all the firstborn of Egypt. I just like using that word. And he took us out to the freedom and emancipation of the world. We daven in Mar, if you ever pay attention. You didn't makas b'choros. You took us out mitocham from them lecheros. And where did you bring us out into echeros? Olam, an eternal and permanent freedom. Freedom. To quote to paraphrase an expression from the Gemara Megillah, how can you call what we have echeros olam? Hamas, Hezbollah, Syria, Iran still the president of MIT. We, we've got enemies everywhere. We've got enemies everywhere. So how can you say it's a cheros olam? Are we truly liberated and free? Do we not have persecution of enemies, anti-Semitism? Our base of Mikdash has not been rebuilt. We still live under growing anti-Semitism. So how could you say this is a cheros olam? It's a permanent. So Avi Mori Beer says, Rav Druk, he's quoting his father, the Drash Mordechai, Rav Mordechai Druk. The servitude, the suffering we experienced in Egypt, the Mitzrayim, was not just backbreaking physical labor. We weren't just in bondage and enslaved physically, but also spiritually, metaphysically, emotionally. Our very identity, who we were, how we saw ourselves. A real slave is not just somebody who is imprisoned, who is shackled, who doesn't have the freedom of mobility or the freedom of choice. That's not the only definition of a prisoner. A prisoner is the one who has a slave mentality. A prisoner is one who's slaved in their mind. People are familiar with Viktor Frankl's great work and how Viktor Frankl survived was by describing that he might have been physically imprisoned, but mentally and emotionally he was free because he wouldn't let anyone decide or determine how he saw himself, how he saw himself. Man search for meaning. Someone who's a real slave doesn't know how to think, what to choose, how to identify, how to see themselves, what to dream about, what ambition they should have, right from wrong. The slave who's lost not only their physical freedom, but their emotional and mental freedom, thinks only one thing, whatever their master tells them. What to think, where to be, what to do, how to be. They're an extension of their master with no independent identity. We don't understand, we don't see this type of a slavery. He says, today, the people who are incarcerated or people who are enslaved are physically enslaved. We had so lost our own autonomy, our own identity, our own ambition, and drive so much so that when Moshe comes and he says, great news, I'm here to take you out. I'm here to set you free. I'm here to carve and chart a brighter future. You know what we said? Get lost. Who are you? We don't believe it. It's not possible. This is our destiny. This is our lives. This is all there is. Lo shamu. They didn't hear me. kasha. Me Me kasha. And we went from there, a slavery which was not just physical slavery, but spiritual and emotional and mental slavery. And from there, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us, He gifted us, Cheros Olam. What's a Cheros Olam in contrast? If a slavery was not just physical slavery, but was a complete and utter slavery, then what's the inverse? What's the opposite? What is a utter and complete 
Freedom. Now we understand. Cheres Olam says Rav Druk. Omek Abir Bashator Madgish Gan Beis Pamim Veotzesi Eschem Mitachas Siblos Mitzrayim Vitzalti Eschem Yavados Vigalti Eschem Vidatem Kani Hashem Lokecham Motzi Eschem Mitachas Siblos Mitzrayim Boa Kadosh Baruch Hu Horus Lamis Ola Hadgish Bifnei Mezam Meser Azeh Twice in these Pesukim Two Pesukim Apart The Torah Tells Us That Hashem Took Us Out From Siblos Mitzrayim First Veotzesi Siblos Mitzrayim And Then Vidatem And You Will Know I'm Taking You Mitachas Siblos Mitzrayim why twice? Because there was two stages to our freedom and emancipation. First, he freed us physically, and then he liberated us from a slave mentality, from the mentality of fatalism, of believing it's just the way it is, it's who we are, it's what's programmed, it's what's designed, it's the destiny that we're destined to live, to realize we have free will, we have choice, we have autonomy, we can mold and shape our future. To understand this sivlos, to sivlos, the greatest burden that you could be under that Hashem had to take us out from was to forfeit our very identity, to forfeit our very ability to be able to have a better and a brighter future. How many people think this is just who I am? It's my DNA, it's my background, it's my socioeconomic status, it's my circumstance or condition in life. It is what it is, I can't change it, it just is what it is. This is my lot in life. This is my spouse, these are my children, this is my career, this is my job, this is my health, this is my condition. That's sivlos, that's sivlos. To feel stuck, to feel stuck in that circumstance, to feel subject to that condition, that sivlos. Moshe grows up and he goes out, and the Torah in last week's parsha tells us, Vayar sum. He saw the sivlos. He saw ish mitzri maki ish ivri, vayifan kova chovayar ki ein ish vayaches amitzri, ki ra Moshe besivlosam, umawa seval, ra Moshe ki ish mitzri maki ish ivri, vayar ki ein ish. He saw ein ish. Vayar, you know what the sivlos that we suffer from is? Vayar ki ein ish. It was worth coming today just for this Rav Druk. It's a new taich, a new definition of sivlos. Do you know when you're living under sivlos, the greatest suffering you can have? Vayar ki einish. When you're not even a person, when you don't choose, when you don't have freedom to even elect autonomy, free will, when you're not choosing your own path, when you think you have no choice. Vayar, when you look at your life and you say, Ein ish, there's no one home, there's no one there, there are no options, there are no choices. I have no ability to choose. If he saw there's nobody there who protests. You know why? They just accepted it. They accepted everything for what it is. We refuse to accept. What Kirsch Baruch gave us was a chiras olam. And the Chayrus Olam he gave us was to go from being slaves to Paro to his slaves. And when you are subject, when you s surrender to Hashem, now you are sort of paradoxically, but empowered. Now you have freedom. The ability to choose, to express that free will, to chart our course, to choose our destiny, to be a people not of fate, but a people of destiny in the Rav's words. This is a Kodesh Baruch Hu's promise to Avram as well. He continues in the next piece. The Torah tells us, When do we come to know that it's Hashem? Not after the first language of Gula. We said that there are four. And only after. Now you'll know. Why does it take till now? After the first three, we don't come to know. After the plagues, after we see what happens to the Egyptians, after we get our first taste of some freedom, after the first experiences of Hotesi, Vitzalti, and Vega'alti, we don't know he's God. We only come to know he's God after Vilakarti. Why? Why does it take Vilakarti to know he's God? And he says the following What does Vilakarti correspond with? Go back to the Pasuk. Vilakarti Eschem Li. La'am. Where was Vilakarti fulfilled? Only when we got where? Har Sinai. Vilakarti is, and I will bring you to Har Sinai, Kabbalah Satora. You know when Vidatam Kenya Hashem? Only through Torah. 
You can know Hashem through nature, and you can know Hashem through history. But when do you know Hashem most authentically, most sincerely? When do you know Hashem most intensely? When we know Hashem most and best, most intimately, is only, viadati is only when? After velakachti. It's only after we stood at Harsinai and we were given his diary, we were given his Torah, and it's only when we immerse ourselves in it. And that's why the cheres olam that we want, that freedom that we desperately long for, is only when our lives are informed and inspired by Torah. You can't just live a casual Jewish life. You can't just check, I went to davening, check, I keep Shabbos, check, I put on tefillin, check, I lit candles. Are you engaged in Torah learning? I'm preaching to the choir who are here today and learn regularly. But it's only when we immerse ourselves in Torah, when we open ourselves up to Torah, when we are informed and guided by Torah, when we interpret everything happening in our lives through Torah, when velakachti, it's when we have our Har Sinai, which is every time we open a Sefer, we're back at Har Sinai with Hashem, that Kabbalah Torah, only then viadatam can we really know Hashem. That is the most intimate, that is the most authentic way. And then Rav Druk in the third piece explains, viadatam, why viadatam? What does the word yediyah mean? We translate the word Yediyah to mean, what does it mean? Knowledge. Yediyah's Klalios. Our kids have tests in school. Those are miserable nights in every Jewish home. The night before the test on Yediyah's Klalios. Yediyah's Klalios, which is basically memorize, memorize, memorize. Memorize every book of Tanah, memorize every day, every person, memorize every Mesechta. Memorize, 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 memorize. We could talk about, I'm not challenging it, I'm not an educator, the virtue of it. I just uh, suffer from the uh, persecution. We talk Sivlos Yediyah's Klalios. So we talk about Yediyah. Yediyah we translate as knowledge, but that's not what Yediyah means. What does Yediyah mean? Milashon Chibur. A Yediyah means a connection. How do you know Yediyah means a connection? Not any connection. Yediya means an intimate connection. Barishas Perak Dalad Pasak Aleph. Via Adam Yada as Chava Ishto. When the Torah wants to describe a moment of intimacy between a husband and wife, moment of conception, what word does the Torah use to describe intimacy, an intimate knowledge? An intimate knowledge to be exposed not only physically, that is the very definition of intimacy. And that's why emotional intimacy physical intimacy go together and we're living in a world suffering from both. Intimacy means access, exposure, connection, trust. Physical intimacy, what it's supposed to be in marriage, is an act that is reserved from one person in one context, in one relationship, in a singular relationship, in a modest setting, and it's something that's not shared widely it's not shared with anyone else other than that person. And because it is exclusive and singular and shared only with that one person in that one context called marriage, it yields and it creates a sense of intimacy. You let someone know you in a way that no one else in the world knows you. You know them in a way nobody else knows them. And when people walk around where there's nothing left to the imagination and there's nothing that the whole world doesn't have access to see, and there are behaviors and actions that are performed in public so that there's nothing that's singular, exclusive, modest, there's nothing reserved. So then it's no surprise that relationships suffer from an inability to have intimacy. Emotional intimacy is the parallel of that physical intimacy. Emotional intimacy means I trust you and feel close enough to you and connected with you. I am letting you in, in a way that nobody else has access my thoughts, my dreams, my fears, my hopes, my failures. I am letting you in. I am giving you access. I am talking about things. I am sharing with you emotionally in a way I don't with anyone else in the world. But when you go and you spend time with your friends and you tell them everything, and your own spouse, in fact, you are reserved and there's a wall up and you don't talk about those things and you don't let them in, then there's a failure of emotional intimacy. Because our understanding, our very definition, you thought you were coming to the Parsha class, Welcome to Shalom Bayes. Uh, we'll, we'll go back to the Parsha right now. But Yediyah does not mean knowledge. Yediyah means Chibur. Because a knowledge that carries intimacy, a knowledge that carries access, exposure, trust, to be in, to be available, to confide, that's Yediyah. Adam Yada Eschava Ishto. We don't have another word to describe a physical intimacy and a physical connection. The word that we have is Yediyah. Yediyah. And Adam knew his wife Chava, knew her in the biblical sense, as we say. 
So what does Velakachti mean? Velakachti is the Torah. How do you come to know Hashem intimately? You only get to the level of intimacy with Hashem after Velakachti, says Rav Druk. First, you have to know Him. You have to know Him. If you don't know Hashem, how could you have intimacy with Him? How could you be an intimate confidant of His? How could you be intimately connected to Him? How can you intimately confide in Him? You have to know Him. You have to know Him as a prerequisite, a precursor to an intimate connection. So first is Vilakarti, Harsinai Kabbalah Satora, and only then the Ibn Ezra says Vilakarti Kashati Kabbalah Satora, Harsinai, Zakti Ibn Ezra, that's Vilakarti. It's only after Vilakarti. The Gemara Ksuba says in the Pasak, Liavas Hashem Lakachu Dav Kabo, Vichi Efshala Adam Lidavak Bishkina. Can you really have Dvekas? Can you really cling to Akadish Baruchu? Where else do we see that word? Bedavak. Bedavak be? Ishto. At some point, stop confiding in mommy and daddy. Stop leaning on and relying on mommy and daddy. And have dveikas b'ishto. V'davak doesn't just mean physically It doesn't mean physically only come together. V'davak means like devek, glue. Attach yourself. Connect with. Connect with. So there's a parallel. The mitzvah of dveikas, hatema dveikam hashem lokeichem, the mitzvah of dveikas, and the same word is used to describe the relationship we're supposed to have with Hashem and the relationship that we have with our spouse. V'davak b'ishto and uladav kabo. Cling to your spouse and cling to Hashem. What's the connection between the two? It means come to know them. Be intimately connected with them. Let there be romance and electricity. With, with, let it be an electric relationship with both, with both. So how do you come to fulfill this Pasuk? How do you love Hashem and cling to Him? Says the Gemara Subas. You know how? Cling to Torah and those who know Torah and learn Torah. First you have to stand at Har Sinai. You have to be invested in learning Torah. Only then can you be intimately connected with Torah. Fourth piece in Rav Druk on this Pasuk. And then I promise you we will move on. The fourth piece. Why wine? I alluded to I told you we'll come back to wine. Arba Koso Shayayin. Under Shosem Balala Seder, the four cups of wine that we drink at the Seder table. Now we're giving you Pesach Divrei Torah. We give you some Sheba Brachas Divrei Torah, an Ufra Divrei Torah, and now a Pesach Divrei Torah. One stop shop. Niskanu Kenegar Arba Lashon Shagul, Lashon Abba Mitzrayim, Vasez Vetad Vegadu Lakachti. Vieshla is bone in wonders of Druk. Why are the Dal Lashonas of Geula specifically connected to drinking of wine? And he quotes here the Meshech Chachma. Kikos Chusam Shal Amis Roshin Niglum Mitzrayim. The whole merit that we had to be redeemed from Egypt was machma shehivdilu es atzma min ha-mitzrim umin ha-umos. We all know. What are the three reasons? What did we hold on to? Why were we redeemed? We said one last week. V'yosef hayab ha-mitzrayim. Remember, he didn't become tzaf nas paneach. He didn't go by Joe. He didn't change his name. He used his English name, Julie. He went with his Hebrew name. Why? Yosef hayab ha-mitzrayim. He remained Yosef in Mitzrayim. What did we cling to? What did we hold on to? Name? Dress? Yosef wore a Bekesha, a Vada. It's an Apat. And number three? Language. We spoke Hebrew. Epis maybe Yiddish. We spoke our own language. So the Meshach Chachma says, we know, Bizchus, it's in the merit of those things we were redeemed. And what do those things have in common? We did not assimilate, we didn't disappear. We didn't integrate socially. We remained separate and apart. We had a Havdalah. We remained apart. That's the mission and the challenge of a Jew in every exile. It's the mission and the challenge of a Jew even in our own homeland. How do we participate in and take the best from society, but also see ourselves as different? How can we take part in and yet be apart from simultaneously? And in different parts of our history, we have failed in one direction or the other. Sometimes we may be too par, far apart from. Sometimes we take too much part in. But we have to find that balance. It's the balance that began all the way with Avram Avinu, says Rav Salavechik. When Avram is negotiating with B'nai Ches, when Avram is buying Mar Samachpela, how is he introduced? Ger v'toshav anochi imachem. I am a resident and a stranger together with you. I am a resident and a stranger. Both. I live among you. I'm a citizen. I'm a resident. But lest you think I'm just like you, simultaneously I'm also a stranger. So the Meshech Achma comes back and he says, in what merit were we redeemed? 
What did we stubbornly cling to and hold on to that we were willing to take part in to some degree, but we also stubbornly remained apart from? We practiced Havdalah. We dressed differently, we spoke differently, and we had different names. Just like the Jewish women did not integrate, did not give in, did not mix with the Egyptian men. It wasn't just that technically our genetics didn't mix. It's not that we didn't intermarry or crossbreed with our host nation physically. It's more than just physically. Our genetics didn't get intertwined and mixed up with non-Jewish children or non-Ivory children being born. Much more than that, it's much more than that spiritually. So these four languages of Geula and the whole Geula only happened because we refused to assimilate. We stubbornly stayed apart. And what symbolizes staying apart? More than wine. Why? Why wine? The Gemara Megillah tells us, Now you'll have your Purim Dvar Torah. Just starting Shvat. We'll get to Tuba Shvat too. Haman Harasha, when he wanted to slander the Jewish people to Achashverosh, what did he tell Achashverosh? How did he get on the Achashverosh's good side in his nefarious plan to exterminate the Jewish people? He says, Achashverosh, what's going on over here? You know that if a fly falls into a cup of wine of these Jews, you know what they do? They throw out the fly and they drink the wine. But Achashverosh, you know what happens if you touch their wine? They have to spill the whole thing out. Because you lowly, contaminated, impure, idolatrous, non-Jew, if you touch the wine, they spill it out. So a fly goes into their wine, they'll sift out the fly and still drink the wine. It's a pogum, you just can't eat the fly, but if you remove it, you can still drink the wine. They'll drink the wine. But a non-Jew touches our wine. What do we call that? Yayanesach or stam yenam. Yayanesach means if wine is used in a libation, in idolatrous practice. You say, where does that happen today? I'll tell you where. Washington Heights, New York. I went to yeshiva there. They do all kinds of pagan rituals. There's chickens walking down the street. There's wine being poured towards pagan. It's still going on there. So if wine is used in pagan worship, it's biblically prohibited. The rabbis came along and they said, if there's a non-Jew pouring wine, how do we know what they're thinking about while they pour that wine? Maybe they're pouring it towards their idol. How do we know? The wine and the wafer and the practice and the... How do you know what they have in mind? So the rabbis prohibited stam yenam. Non-Jew touches wine. According to some Rishonim, if a non-Jew even just looks at wine. Do you know that? Do you know that... Um, no? Kedem. Kedem follows that strict opinion among the Rishonim. It's not brought down lahalacha, but it's a chumrah. So if there's a non-Jew in the factory when they're ready before their grape juice is pasteurized and bottled, non-Jews leave the factory. It has to be, there's some opinions that non-Jew even looks at wine before it's pasteurized or brought to a boil, mavushal. Why does mavushal help? Because wine that's boiled is now, is now disqualified for idolatrous practice. Turns out, we learn from the idolaters, they only do idolatry with wine that was never boiled or pasteurized. So if we pasteurize or boil the wine, now we can be confident it's no longer subject to idolatry. And that's why Yayin Mavushal, if the non-Jew pours or lifts or uncorks the, the, the Yayin Mavushal, you're okay. But before it's Mavushal, or if it's not Mavushal, if a non-Jew touches it, and according to some of a non-Jew even just looks at it, now you got to pour it out. So Haman tells Achashverosh, this people, you know what they think of you? You know what they think of you? If a... If an iguana crawls into their vat of wine, if a lizard crawls into their glass of wine, they'll just remove the lizard and sip the wine. But if you touch it, if you so much as look at their wine, they're going to pour it out. Cheshver says, that's what they think of me. Off with their heads. That's how Haman goes about it. Even Haman understood that wine is the symbol of differentiation. Wine is the symbol of distinction between the Jew and the non-Jew. Why? Why are the rabbis so concerned? Why is the Torah so concerned with wine? Because wine, wine is what you get together socially. Let's meet for a glass of wine. Let's have dinner with wine. Let's drink to it. 
to our relationship, to our friendship, to our merger, to our business, to our connection, to our assimilation, to our integration. And Chazal came and said, no, 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 no. When it comes to wine, that's where you draw the line. We don't drink together. We don't toast together. And there's halachas, by the way. There are halachas about a bar, Jews in an establishment where they pour alcohol. There's, there's halachas that people are not as familiar with as they should be. But the Meshachachma says, it is specifically in the halachas that surround wine that we are reminded of our obligation to make havdalah. To make havdalah. What does it mean to make havdalah? What do we say in havdalah every Motzei Shabbos? Bein Yisrael la'amim. Kodesh l'chol bein Yisrael la'amim. Between Shabbos and the other six days of the week. Chachamim gozra yena mishum b'noseim. And why did our rabbis prohibit drinking wine, drinking l'chaim, going to a place where alcohol is poured with a non-Jew? Because lest we socialize and integrate an intermarry. Says Rav Druk, based on this Meshachachma, maybe now we know why. Dalad Kosos were established. Why? Because the Dalad Lashonos of Geula. There are four descriptions of redemption. And in what merit were we redeemed? We stayed apart. We stayed separate. And therefore, and what is the greatest symbol of our staying apart and staying separate? It is... It is wine. He goes on, Rav Druk, and he explains. This is also the paragraph of We lift a cup of wine when we say Why? Sometimes we lift the matzah, we uncover the matzah, we cover the matzah, all the calisthenics that we're doing throughout the Seder. So the children will ask, so we'll stay awake to work off the matzah we're about to eat. Why are we lifting the cup when we sing Says Rav Druk, he doesn't quote, but this is based on an Arach HaShulchan. Arach HaShulchan had a Haggadah. And he says this as well. What's the Vihi in Vihisha Amda? This thing is what stood the test of time that even though we know that well right now, in every generation, including ours, including today, while we're learning, they rise against us trying to destroy us. But, Kadosh you save us. Vihi, this thing, it has stood the test of time, it stood for our forefathers, and it stands for us. What's vihi? Some say it's the bris ben absarim, munam bitachum. What's the vihi? Zakt Arach HaShulchan says Rav Drukir in his new Lavoseishan Parshas Ve'era. You know what the vihi is in vihi she'amda? The vihi is that we, what kept us is that every generation they rise up against us to kill us. Had they not rose against us to kill us in every generation, we would disappear. We'd assimilate, we'd integrate, we'd disappear. We'd disappear. You know when this anti-Semitism is on the rise? When we forget we're Jewish, they remind us. It has been said, when a Jew forgets to make Kiddush, the non-Jews make Havdalah. When we don't say Kiddush, they say Havdalah, they make Havdalah. If we're not Makadesh ourselves with Kedushas Yisrael, if we're not living as Jews with Torah, Torah lives, Torah priorities, Torah worldviews, if we're not living with the Kedusha of a Jew, the non-Jew comes along and makes Havdalah with their anti-Semitism. The Vihi of Vihisha Amda. It was said in Europe they killed us with hate. In America they're killing us with love. The Vihi of Vihisha Amda. We see this in Pasha's Vayishlach. When Yaakov is reunited with his brother Esav, he says, Hatzileni na miyad achi, miyad Esav. The Zohar HaKadosh says, why does he say both miyad achi, miyad Esav? Because there are two ways a non-Jew could try to kill us and have genocide against us. One, on October 7th, that's miyad Esav. On October 7th, they rise up against us, they try to kill us, pogroms, persecution, hostage-taking, murder. You know how else they can kill us? Miyad achi. When they say, you're my brother, come, live among us, marry into us, be just like us, disappear, assimilate, you're invited, you're welcome. That also is an incredible threat, a threat that looms large over us. And if I may be so bold to tell you, as much as anti-Semitism is on the rise and as great a threat as it poses and as much work as there is to do and as hard as we have to fight against it, statistically, the danger of anti-Semitism right now in America is nothing, is negligible, pales in comparison to the impact of assimilation. 75% of non-Orthodox Jews are intermarrying. We are disappearing 
at a faster clip than anti-Semites ever could accomplish. We're bringing about our own disappearance. The much greater threat than anti-Semitism is assimilation. And sometimes maybe a Kodesh Baruch Hu sends a rise of anti-Semitism to stop that assimilation. The vehi valanu, what will stop our making ourselves disappear is when they say, nope, you can no longer marry in, you can no longer join, you can no longer be part. That doesn't mean you should welcome it or want it or celebrate it or be okay with it. We have to fight it but it does give a perspective to it. And it goes all the way back to Yaakov. Yaakov was worried, miyad achi, miyad esav. How is esav going to come? How is he going to appear? As a achi or as an esav? And Rav Druk goes on and on. He extends this further. This is the theme of the Havdalah that we say, Amatzei Shabbos. But anyway, this is why Dalad Kosos, the Arba Kosos, this is the Arba Amavda ben Kodesh Lachol ben Or Lachoshel ben Yisrael Amin ben Yom Hashir Sheshem Yamasa, the Dalad Lashonos of Geula and the Dalad Kosos and the Dalad Havdalos that we make in Havdala all connect. I'll leave you that as homework. The four parts of Havdala on Motzei Shabbos. How do they connect to the four languages of Geula and to the four cups of wine? Because they all revolve around the same thing. Says Rav Druk so beautifully. But let's move along. Let's go. Perek Vav Pasuk Zayin. Turn the page. Turn two pages, in fact. Page 322. Torah here interrupts the whole story of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, the mission, because once Moshe and Aaron are sent to begin the mission, the Torah interrupts to remind us where they came from. How do we know them? Pasuk Zayin. It was on this day I sent them. Hashem spoke to Moshe and he said, I am Hashem. Go speak to them. And this is, these are the ones. These were the ones who spoke to power king of Egypt, take the children out of the land. This was Moshe and Aaron. I don't understand. One is Revolba. Who Moshe and Aaron? Now you're telling me who Moshe and Aaron? Don't I know that? You just said that. Say for Shmos, we had the whole lineage given to us. It concluded with Moshe and Aaron. So we know where they come from. We know their background. So why does it need to be repeated right now? Why is it repeated again? Who Moshe and Aaron? That's Moshe and that's Aaron. That's Moshe and that's Aaron. We were already told this in the end of the last Pasha. Listen to what Revolber writes in the Shiuri Chumash. Matzan to Yosef. He says the following. Rashi. The Torah wants to tell us who Moshe Aaron is. They're about to begin this prestigious, prominent role to tell us that the anonymous Moshe and Aaron, the private citizens Moshe and Aaron, and the prominent and the popular and the influencer Moshe and Aaron were exactly the same people. No difference. No difference between the Moshe and Aaron who were world famous and the Moshe and Aaron who no one ever heard of. The righteousness was exactly the same. It was exactly the same, says Rashi. Says Ravol, but you see this also with Yosef. Who Yosef Aroa son Aviv? Who Yosef Shayib Mitzrayim? Venasa Melach Vomi Bitzidko? Vachem Biyakov? Sheispala Shiachashmar Lai Mitzchilavat Sof? Vekanze Elmar Itzel Moshe Varan Hemishluchusom Vitzidkosom Mitzchilavat Sof? Ligmor Chaim Mitzchilavat Sof? Shlonishbarim Beem says Zoe Avoda Vizel Lokal. Says Ravol, to have the same reputation, to be righteous from beginning to end. No matter how popular, no matter how prominent, no matter how many followers, no matter how many friends, no matter how much influence, to be the same person in public and in private, to never let anything go to your head, to never waver, to never slow down, to never compromise, to never become corrupt. Who Moshe Aaron to stay that same person? Wow, what an accomplishment. Yosef also, the Torah testifies, who Yosef, it was true about Yosef. Yaakov, true, Davin for it. Let me be the same person. And it's not simple. It's not simple. Yochanin koin gadol, ya koin gadol shmonim shana. Do you know the Gemara tells us in Brochas Dav Chavtes? Yochanin koin gadol. Do you know how long he served as the koin gadol? Long time. 80 years. That must have been some dinner when he retired. 80 years. Shmonim shana. But you know how he retired? What happened with him in the end? Levasof Nia Tzaduki. He became a Tzaduki. He became an apostate. Do you know that about Yochan Kohen Gadol? Lohechzik Sof. He made it 80 years in his career, and when he retired, he gave it up. When he retired, he turned it in. Not only the rabbinate professionally, but Yiddishkeit altogether. Yiddishkeit altogether. Yeshim Yochan Kohen Gadol 
Halachos v'takanos v'hulo zach l'hachzik maimed asof. We learned from him and he played a role, but he didn't make it all the way to the end. He didn't make it all the way to the end. No one knows where life will take us. Yosef set out to inquire about his brothers. And the next thing you know, he's in a pit and he's a slave. The next thing you know, he's on his own, living as the second most powerful man in Egypt. But he never gave up who he was. He never forgot where he came from. He never forgot to whom he reported. He never let any of it get to his head. And that's what the Torah is telling us. And this message says, Revolba is so important. It was worth repeating the whole lineage just to remind us who Moshe va'aron, mitchila va'atsof. They were unchanged. Of course, they grew and they improved, but they never gave up. And Revolba himself, this was the biography of his life. He was learning in the Mir Yeshiva in Poland before World War II. And the Polish government forced him to leave the yeshiva because he had a German citizenship. And where did Revolba end up in Switzerland? And while he was there for the next eight years, I'm sorry, in Sweden, there wasn't even a minion of Shomer Shabbos in Sweden with him. So did Revolba take a step backwards? Take off his yarmulke? Stop going to shul? Stop keeping Shabbos? Chas v'shalom chalila? He became Revolba. Mitchila v'atsof. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what's happening. It doesn't matter where life puts us. Who Moshe v'aron? Unlike Yochanan Kohen Gadol, who didn't make it to the end, who 80 years, but in the end, turned it all in, and how? How? So he quotes, he quotes his Rebbe, Revolba quotes his Rebbe of Yerucham. He says the following, HaMashkiach Amar Pam, he just says HaMashkiach Zal. When, Rav, when Revolba quotes the Mashkiach Zal, he's referring to Rav Yerucham, Rav Yerucham Levavitz. Pam she'adam eshtanem ha'chalifa shehu lovish. Rav Yerucham would say a person changes in accordance with his clothing. In other words, one's behavior is very much dependent on his surroundings. You can maintain a serious demeanor when you're alone, when you're in company, then you become lightheaded, you make fun, you are cynical, just moving from one room to the other, just changing your clothing. You take off your tie and you put on a t-shirt. Are you like a chameleon? Your personality and your righteousness changes with your outfit? Or, no matter where you are, no matter what you're wearing, that is the message of the Torah here, delineating it in this way, says Ravoba. Says Ravoba. Oh, we didn't get anywhere. Perak Zion Pasuk Tezvav. Top of page 326. We got to get one more because a beautiful Rav Matis Yahu. Rav Matis is just Nifter. A beautiful teaching from Rav Matis Solomon. Where did I say it is? Perk Zion Pasuk Tezvav, page 326. Hashem said to Moshe, Paro's heart is stubborn. He's refusing to send the people. Go to Paro in the morning. He goes out to the water. That's where you'll find him, at the river, at the water. Stand opposite him at the river's bank, and the staff that was turned into a snake, take it in your hand, and you'll say, Hashem sent you. Aaron does this first one, and so on and so forth. Rashi tells us, why is power to be found at the water? Why? Power is at the water because he is going to the bathroom. He's using the river to eliminate. And why did he go out to the river to eliminate? There were no closer bathrooms? Because he made himself out to a god. And do you know what reveals our humanity? You know what is the great equalizer for all? The Ashkenazi intestines. <laughs> our Ashkenazi genetics and gastrointestinal diseases. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how much fame or fortune, but as the saying goes, when you gotta go, you gotta go. So Paro didn't wanna show his humanity, his fallibility, that he wasn't a god. So he was never, no one ever heard. He never excused himself. He was never, no one ever knocked on the door and it was occupied because Paro was in there. So how did he take care of business? He went to the river. He would wake up before anyone else woke up and he would go down to the Nile River and he would do what he needed to do. Says Rav Matas Solomon, in the midst of his shiva, Power going to the water was not just where you could find him. Why was the first plague carried out against Paro at the river? Not just because that's where you could find him. We got a tracker on him, got an apple little thing we put on him, and you could track him, he's at the river. That's not the only reason he was found there. 
This is the introduction to the Makkah, the plague of Dam. Because when the river turned to blood and the fish there died, Paro went home and he didn't pay attention to it. And the Targum Yonas of Anuzir translates, Paro did his business and then he went back into his house. Paro also suffered from the Maka. You know how? Because once the river turned red and something outstanding, extraordinary was happening with the river, Paro couldn't do at the river what he needed to do. And you know what he had to do instead? He had to hold it in. So he was suffering from this plague too. <laughs> Why is it that after Makas Dam, Paro turns, he pivots, and he goes home? Why was he running home? He wasn't running home, he was running funny home. Why? Why? Because he had to go. He had to go. And why did he have to go? Because it wasn't available at the ore. Why is it available at the air? Because of the dam. So, Akurish Baruch Hu right away says to Paro, Shalom Aleichem, nice to meet you. You think I'm fooled that you're in charge, you're in control? You think I'm competing with you? Who's the God? I'm going to make it that you got to go. You're going to have to go do that run, that funny run. You're going to have to go beg me and make all kinds of deals with me. Those who have that gastrointestinal Ashkenazi gene know exactly what I'm talking about. All the negotiating, all the vows, Hashem, I'll never speak Russian her again. I'll never, I'll be so patient and kind again. I'll never make fun of anyone again. Just open the traffic, let me get off the exit. Let the bathroom be available. Let me, everybody knows what I'm talking about. Let's be honest for a moment. So Paro's doing that dance. Paro's having that conversation. Paro's doing that negotiation. And Hashem says, Shkoyach, Shalom Aleichem. Nice to meet you. Now we all know who's in charge. Now we know who's in control. This is the introduction to the Makos. The introduction to the Ten Plagues. Kodesh knows it all. And this is exactly the feeling, the mentality. This is what Chazal established and ordained. I can't believe we're ending with this because I, I had... rather has a whole essay. Remember last week? I shocked you when I told you how long was Moshe floating in the river? Not for months or weeks or days. 15 minutes. How long did the river stay red? How long did Dam last? And did it really turn into blood or just looked like blood? You know, a couple years ago, there was a winery that the vat broke and the wine, like gazillions of gallons of wine flooded a river and the whole river turned red. Cabernet Sauvignon, by the way, in case you're curious. <laughs> that river. So, he says here. He says, Rabbeinu Yosef B'chor Shor and the Cheskuni, Rishonim, say, it only lasted an hour. Enough that all the fish inside died. And then it turned back to water. Here's a whole discussion here, but we don't have time. If I had time, I would tell you about all this great stuff. Was it only in a... Rishonim nachlaku mahus makas dam inepchul lamayim ladam mamish inepchul rak lamaradam avabitamam nishramayim regilim And did it happen once? Did it happen on and on? Any, any water that was in a metal container didn't turn. Why being in a metal container, why did that protect it from turning to dam? Here's a whole discussion. Absolutely fantastic. But we'll end with this. Cesar about the Solomon Zatzal, he said, you know the feeling that Paro had in the introduction to Makos? We all are meant to have it too. To humble, the humility. To humble ourselves to Hashem. The humility to realize that Kivshua, I'm going out and I'm trying to kill this world, I'm conquering the world, I'm trying to kill the day, taking my initiative, but in the end of the day, Hashem, you're in charge, you're in control, I surrender to you. And how do we imitate Paro in realizing, coming to that realization? Because every time we make the bracha, Asher Yatzar, it is revealed and known before Kisei Kvodecha, 
Because if anything, any of our orifices are sealed or closed, if our digestive system is not working, if we're unable to eliminate properly, we can't exist here. Not down by the river, not in the bathroom, not anywhere in between. So every time we come out of the bathroom and we make this bracha, a bracha that we're supposed to say while standing still, it's not filas aderach. You're not supposed to be walking away from the bathroom while you say it. Say it while standing still with a little kavanah. It'll take just a few seconds. And that exercise of saying that bracha is an exercise of humility. It's an exercise of surrender. It's an exercise of submission. It's an exercise that says, Hashem, I'm not competing with you. I know you're in charge. I know you're in control. Don't visit any makos upon me as a curriculum to educate me. I don't need it. I got it. It's I know you're in charge. I know you're in control. I believe it. I got it. And I got all of Parshas Ve'era, Parshas Shir next year prepared already now. Okay? Join us tonight. Men are invited tonight for Rav Kluger. Thursday night, mental health. Motzei Shabbos, President Rivlin. Monday night, Rav Moshe Weinberger. We got a lot going on. Mirzah we should hear Besoros Tovos. Please remain. Tehillim, we're going to complete all of Sefer Tehillim. If you're not staying, please leave quietly. Everyone is urged and encouraged to please stay.